Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. So good to be with you. I apologize for the reruns we've needed recently. All is well, and I'm back with you, and I'm so thrilled to be with you. It, I, I pray you're having a wonderful Lent. Um, and <clears throat> I want to urge you that if you haven't um, kept to your Lenten promises or intentions, not to worry. You've never failed until you fail to give up until you fail to not give up. How's that? The opposite of what I wanted to say. You have not failed until you give up. If you give up, you failed. As long as you never give up and you keep trying again, begin again every day, begin again every minute. That's all. You're going to begin again today. You already failed. Begin again now, this minute. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. Nobody is perfect. Um, and many people are wonderful in their Lenten resolutions. I have often failed, and I don't get discouraged. I pick myself up and I say, okay, if I start from today, this minute, God will be more pleased than if I just say, forget it, I'll do it next year. Never, never, never do that. Never, 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 never give up. What we began before... um, uh, we had to do a couple of reruns, is to take a look at virtue and work on a virtue um, each day of Lent or each week of Lent. And I mentioned this wonderful book, Victory, Victory Over Vice, um, which are the writings and talks of Bishop Fulton Sheen, who is magnificent. And what he's done is um, take the seven last words of the cross, our Lord's seven last words of the cross, and attach to each word a vice that people could have uh, for that, and then uh, clear the way for the uh, opposite or resulting or the virtue that would kill that vice. So very quickly, I'll read again from the back of the book, Fulton Sheen claims that since all seven deadly sins led Christ's enemies to nail him to the cross, we can find in the example of his suffering and death sure means to overcome each of those sins. Plus the key to understanding and to nurturing in our own soul each corresponding virtue. For example, in these pages filled with wisdom and hope, Bishop Sheen teaches us not only how to conquer gluttony, he shows us how to satisfy our spiritual hunger. We learn not merely how to overcome pride, we discuss what we must do to grow humble. And from Christ's holy response to each of the sins that led to his crucifixion, Bishop Sheen draws a lesson in how we must deal with those same sins, whether we meet them in others or in ourselves. Day after day, Christians struggle to do good, to avoid evil, and to take up with patience and with love the crosses that threaten to crush them. 
for those of us who still know more of sin than sanctity, oy, 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 Fulton Sheen's revelation of the light that vice sheds on virtue affords a way to understand virtue better. If you abide by the holy counsel in these pages, enduring virtue will soon be yours. You will have achieved your own long sought after victory over vice. The first word of the cross is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And from that, Bishop Sheen discussed the, um, uh, wrote about the, the, the virtue of anger and how to overcome anger. Um, and shows that the perfect reparation for anger was made on Calvary. Um, uh, I won't reread that now. But the next word from the cross is this day. To the thief, this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let me give you a minute to guess what that vice would be, would engender. The, the good thief, <clears throat> uh, the bad thief said, save yourself in us. If you are the son of God, save yourself in us. And the good thief um, uh, said, we deserve our sins. We deserve our punishment. He does not. And then he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what do you think, what vice would that engender? The vice in the bad thief was envy. Jealousy means that you want what someone else has. Envy means not only do you want what they have, you don't want them to have it. And that was the, the, uh, the bad thief on the cross. And Bishop Sheen writes this. This is very good for our Lent, dear, dear ones. I read this yesterday, and it's, it's marvelous. Every one of us, I think, uh, most of us at least, can find ourselves here. Envy is sadness at another's good, and joy at another's evil. Can you imagine? Maybe you can. Sadness at another's good and joy at another's evil. What rust is to iron, that moths. What moths, what rust is to iron, what moths are to wool, what termites are to wood, that envy is to the soul. The assassination of brotherly love. We are not here concerned with just envy or zeal, which inspires us to emulate good example and to progress with those who are our betters. For the scriptures enjoin us to be zealous for spiritual gifts. Rather, we here touch on that sinful envy, which is a willful grieving at another's good, either spiritual or temporal, for the reason that it seems to diminish our own good. You see, if another's good seems to diminish our own good, that's not of God. The honor paid to another is regarded by the envious man as a reflected disgrace on himself, and he is sad in consequence. Envy manifests itself in discord, in hatred, malicious joy, backbiting, detraction, inputting of evil motives, jealousy, and calumny. 
a sample of this kind of envy we find in one of the two women who asked Solomon to to adjudicate their dispute. The first woman said, I and this woman dwelt in one house, and this woman's child died in the night, for in her sleep she overlaid him. And rising in the dead time of the night, she took my child from my side, while I, thy handmaid, was asleep, and laid her dead child in my bosom. To which the other woman answered, It is not so, as thou sayest, but thy child is dead, and mine is alive. Since there were no witnesses, Solomon ordered a sword to be brought to him. For he rightly judged that the motherly heart of the real mother would rather give up her child than see him killed. Brandishing the glittering sword, he said, Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Hearing this, the woman whose child was alive cried out in terror and pity, I beseech thee, my Lord, give her the child alive. Do not kill it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king commanded the child to be given to her who would rather give him up to another than have him killed, knowing that she must be the mother. The point of the story is that envy, which is so jealous of the good of another, may reach a point where it scruples not to take a life. I'll tell you what pierced me a bit as I was just reading that. Uh, the mothers who would divide their child into a million pieces through abortion, the true mothers of the ch- children in their womb who would chop their babies, have their, chop, have their babies chopped into a million pieces rather than give birth to that baby, baby and give that baby to a family who has no baby who would love to raise it. That just went right through me. Bishop Sheen uh, continues. In our times, envy has taken on an economic form. The avarice of the rich is being matched by the envy of the poor. Some poor hate the rich, not because they have unjustly stolen their possessions, but because they want their possessions. Certain have-nots are scandalized at the wealth wealth of the haves, only because they are tempted by lust for their possessions. They envy the rich, not because of their need, but because of their greed. Combined with this is social envy, or snobbery, which sneers at the higher position of others, because the snobs want to sit in their chair and enjoy their applause. Oh, I know, dear ones, we won't get through this chapter on envy today, but we'll give it a good start um, and continue when we come back. And then at the half-hour break, dear ones, we'll take your calls, your texts, and your emails, and you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back live.
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are... um, 15 minutes away from our half hour together where you can call in or text or email with anything on your heart. Um, We are currently reading Victory Over Vice by Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who has taken the seven last words of our Lord on the cross and paired with them um, a a potentially resulting um, um, vice, uh, this, the, the seven vices, and they are anger, envy, lust, pride, gluttony, sloth, and covetousness. Last time we covered anger, and today we are looking at envy based on our Lord's second word from the cross, um, which the Gospel of Luke reports, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. The envy was on the part of the unrepentant thief who was mocking the repentant thief. And uh, our Lord said to the repentant thief, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And not only did the unrepentant uh, thief, um, not only was he jealous of that, he didn't want the good thief, so-called, to be in paradise. Envy doesn't want the other to have any good at all. Um, 
uh, in addition to, um, uh, let's see, the envy, those who envy, um, let me see, in our times, envy has taken on an economic form. The avarice of the rich is being marched, matched rather, by the envy of the poor. Some of the poor hate the rich, not because they have unjustly stolen their possessions, but because they want their possessions. Certainly, certain have-nots are scandalized at the wealth of the has, of the haves. I'm rereading this paragraph. Only because they are tempted by lust for their possessions. They envy the rich, not because of their need, but because of their greed. Combined with this social envy or snobbery, which meets at the higher position, which sneers at the higher position of others because the snobs want to sit in their chairs and enjoy their applause. They assume that in not arriving at such popular favor themselves, they were deprived of their due. Isn't that insane where our society has come? This is why we hate those who do not pay sufficient attention to us and why we love those who flatter us. We consider, can you imagine that? We consider it our due. Oh my goodness. If envy is on the increase today, it is undoubtedly, as it is undoubtedly, it is because of the surrender of the belief of a future life and righteous divine justice. If this life is all, they drink, um, I'm so sorry. If this life is all they think they should have, um, if this life is all they think they should have all, I reread that. I'm going to I'm going to reread from the beginning. If envy is on the increase today, it is undoubtedly it as it. Uh, why am I not? I need somebody to come here and help me read. If envy is on the increase today, as it undoubtedly is, it is because of the surrender of the belief of a future life and righteous divine justice. If this life is all, they think they should have all. From that point on, envy of others becomes their rule of life. This is it. There's no heaven. There's no afterlife. This is it. I want to get it all. Our Lord was unceasingly in his preaching against envy. To those who were envious of the mercy extended to lost sheep, he pictured the angels of heaven rejoicing more at the one sinner doing penance than at the 99 just who needed not repentance. To those who were envious of wealth, he warned, lay not up to yourselves treasures on earth where the rust and moth consume and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up to yourselves treasures in heaven where neither the rust nor moth consume and where thieves do not break through nor steal. When our Lord encountered those who were envious of power, such as the apostles quarreling about the first place, he placed a child in the midst of them and putting his arms around them, putting his arms around that child, reminded them, his disciples, that heaven was open only to those who were as simple children. For Christ is not in the great, but in the little. Whosoever shall receive one child as this in my name, receiveth me. And whoever shall receive me, 
receiveth not me, but him that sent me. But Christ's preaching against envy did not save him from the envious. Pilate was envious of his power. Annas was envious of his innocence. Caiaphas was envious of his popularity. Herod was envious of his moral superiority. The scribes and Pharisees were envious of his wisdom. Each of these had built his judgment seat of mock, moral moral superiority from which to sentence morality himself to the cross. And in order that he might no longer be a person to be envied, they reputed him with the wicked. Born between an ox and an ass, they now crucify him between two criminals. That was the last insult they could give him. To the public eye, they created the impression that three thieves, not two, were silhouetted against the sky. In a certain sense, it was true. Two stole gold out of avarice. One stole hearts out of love. The thief who could not have been... uh, Archbishop Sheen makes the uh, three in Latin. Salvandus, Salvator, and Salvatus. The thief who could have been saved, the thief who was saved, and the Savior who saved them. The crosses spelled out the words, envy, mercy, pity. It's amazing, hmm? That Bishop Sheen, I hope he gets canonized. The thief on the left envied the power our blessed Lord claimed, as the thief, as the chief priests, scribes, and ancients ridiculed the Savior, Savior sneering. He saved others, himself he cannot save. The thief on the left added to their revilings, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. In other words, if I had that power of yours, that power you claim as the Messiah, I would use it differently than to hang helpless on a tree. I would step down from the cross, smite my enemies, and prove what power really is. Thus did envy reveal that if it had the gifts it envies in others, it would misuse them as the thief on the left would have surrendered redemption from sin for release from a nail. In like manner, many in the world today who are envious of wealth would probably lose their souls if they had that wealth. Envy never thinks of responsibilities. Looking only to self, it misuses every gift that comes its way. Pity has quite a different effect on the soul. The thief on the right had no envy of the master's power, but only pity for the master's sufferings. Rebuking his companion on the left, the good thief said, Neither dost thou fear God. Seeing that thou art under the same condemnation, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done no evil. There was not a spark of envy in him. He wanted nothing in all the world, not even to be removed from tragic companioning with his cross. He was not envious of God's power. 
for God knows best what to do with his power. He was not envious of his fellow men, for they had nothing worth giving. So he threw himself upon divine providence and asked only for forgiveness. Lord, remember me when thou shalt come into thy kingdom. A dying man asked a dying man for life. A man without possessions asked a poor man for a kingdom. A thief at the door of death asked to die. A thief and steal paradise. And because he envied nothing, he received all. Amen, our Lord said. I say to thee this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. One would have thought a saint would have been the first soul purchased over the counter at Calvary by the red coins of redemption. But in the divine plan, it is a thief who steals that privilege and marches as the escort of the King of Kings into paradise. Two lessons are taught us by this second word from the cross. The first is that envy is the source of our wrong judgments about others. The chances are that if we ate, if we are envious of others, nine times out of ten, we will misjudge their characters. Because the thief on the left was envious of the power of our Lord, he misjudged him and missed both the divinity of the Savior and his own salvation. He falsely argued that power should always be used in the way he would have used it, namely to turn nails into rosebuds, a cross into a throne, blood into a royal purple, and the blades of grass on the hillside into bayonets of offensive steel. No one in the history of the world ever came closer to redemption, and yet no one ever missed it by so far. His envy made him ask for the wrong thing. He asked to be taken down when he should have asked to be taken up. It makes one think of how much the envy of Herod resulted in an equally false judgment. He massacred the innocents because he thought the infant king came to destroy an earthly kingdom, whereas he came only to announce a heavenly one. And so it is with us. Backbiting, calumny, false judgments are all born out of envy. We say, oh, he's jealous or she's jealous, but how do we know? that he or she is jealous unless we ourselves have felt that way. How do we know others are acting proudly unless we know how pride asserts itself? Every envious word is based on a false judgment of our own moral superiority. To sit in judgment makes us feel that we are above those who are judged and more righteous and more innocent than they. We'll continue this tomorrow morning, beloved. And after the break, we'll take your calls, your emails, your texts, call in with anything on your heart, any subject, toll free, one 511 
1-800-273-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations Thank you for helping to save the culture. Each weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, the Station of the Cross brings you Mother Miriam Live. Mother Miriam is a Catholic nun on a mission to bring Jesus and a message of hope to a world that has lost its way. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, and I am thrilled to welcome you to Mother Miriam Live. As always, you're going to be able to call, text, or email whatever your questions are. Through a partnership between the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, you will be able to listen and watch Mother Miriam live on YouTube and Facebook at the Station of the Cross, including past episodes on podcast. God bless you. Listen on your local Station of the Cross affiliate and our free iCatholic Radio mobile app, or watch the Mother Miriam live video stream on Facebook and YouTube by searching the Station of the Cross. That's Mother Miriam live each weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. Um, just a reminder that tomorrow begins uh, the Ember Days, um, which is a time of fasting and penance four times a year, uh, four seasons of the year, um, and they are fasting and, and uh, penance, abstinence, penance on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Let me just give you a summary of that. The thing is that after, let me just see, where did I put that? I'm so sorry. Um, I just brought it up for you. Ember days um, are the days at the beginning of the seasons ordered by the church as days of fast and abstinence. Now, I think they've been fairly much done away with after Vatican II, but they began in the 11th century, and they're wonderful four times a year, which God gave the Jewish people for fast and abstinence, 
um, doing penances in Thanksgiving for the four seasons of the year to appreciate, to pray for our crops, to appreciate all that God gives us. They were arranged uh, and prescribed for the entire church. I'm reading the little article here from Catholic Answers um, by Pope Gregory VII in the 11th century for Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, four times a year, following December 13th, the Feast of St. Lucy, after Ash Wednesday, which is now. Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday, so they begin this Wednesday, which is tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday, after Whit Sunday, Pentecost, and after September 14th, which is the exaltation of the Holy Cross, the purpose of the introduction, besides the general one intended by all prayer and fasting, was to thank God for the gifts of nature, to teach men to make use of them in moderation, and to assist the needy. Every time we hear the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, um, dig into a nugget of history of the church we embrace it wholly because it teaches us to love god more to love his gifts but to love the giver more than the gifts we've done away with so much of the church's practice that really makes us catholic and it's so beautiful um let me see what else here. The immediate case, well, the immediate occasion of the Ember Days uh, was the practice of the heathens of Rome. The Romans were originally given to agriculture, and their native gods belonged to the same class. At the beginning of the time, for seed and harvesting, religious ceremonies were performed to implore the help of their deities, all false, of course. In June, for a bountiful harvest, in September, for a rich vintage, and in December, for the seeding. Hence, their um, um, uh, let me see, the church, when converting heathen nations, has always tried to sanctify any practices which could be utilized for a good purpose. At first, the church in Rome had fasts in June, September, December. The exact days were not fixed, but were announced by the priests. I'm not going to continue this because it's too long and I want to take your calls. Um, but I would say, going back to circumcision, um, the heathens circumcised their children, and our Lord came and sanctified circumcision when he gave it to um to Abraham, to circum- and, and he made the covenant uh, with the blood of circumcision uh, with Abraham and then Moses. It, it has continued through. People say Christmas was pagan. It was not called Christmas, but it was. But God has come into our universe, become one of us, sanctified all things, and to restore all things to himself. So we take all that is pagan, and we restore it to God. So instead of celebrating false gifts and destroying nature, we take what God has given us and we fast and we pray in thanksgiving for the gift of them as Christmas is now the gift of uh, the celebration of the gift of the Savior of the world. Easter, the same thing. The gift of the resurrection of his celebration. Maybe we do uh, should do a whole program one day on on all of that um but i'm going to go to your calls and emails now dear ones um let me just see here um our lines are wide open you're welcome to call in i think feel like a little discombobulated today but we are here for you 
and I'm so grateful. I've had so many calls and so many donations, by the way, to lifefunder.com from you all. I, I can't be more grateful. Lifefunder.com slash the initials of our um, um, religious order, D-O-M-M-O-I-H, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Um, and LifeSite News has set up a life funder for our new home. And I think it's about a quarter filled already, a little over 25%. So I'm grateful for you all. I get on there once a day to read your messages and pray for you. Um, We have an email from Alice, and Alice says, Dear Mother Miriam, thanks be to God, as always, for your broadcast through LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross, and for the beautiful order, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, and the third order, because we do have a third order, um, Oblates um, of Mary, and that is Benedictine Oblates of the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. And if any of you like to find out any of that, go to www.motherofisraelshope.org. You can click on uh, Mary's Oblates. You can click on Newsletters. You can download a form for Mary's Oblates and join in with us. You can um, click the newsletters and sign up if you're not getting newsletters. Um, This dear Alice says, um, I have a quick question, the answer of which may help a number of people. Ah, I sent you an email um, before. She said it was of some importance concerning a donation to your future and present work. Oh, dear. Are you totally swamped with emails? Are you able to wade through uh, the must-be-huge amount of correspondence coming to you these days while also settling into your new abode and fielding plans for your future monastery? Oh, bless you, Alice. You are right. How is the best way to reach you? Are you even reachable these days? I am, I am. I did put your name on the subject line of the email I sent. I don't need a long response. Just wondering if you are gloriously swamped. Thank you again. May our Lord and Lady continue to bless you abundantly. Sincerely, Alice. Oh, Alice, dear one, I'm so sorry. Um, yes, we are swamped. I have, uh, we have so many emails. We still are in the process of moving. Um, so many good things are happening. I, I, I can't report them yet because um, they're not reportable yet, but I think within a week they should be. And I would, I'll have glorious, unbelievably glorious news for you. So we're here in Beloit. We're staying. It's wonderful. We did um, gain the title to our new house, but we're already out of its walls. So we need to make some other plans. And um, the new house, again, will become our guest house or another ministry house. We'll see what how all this unfolds. But I surely apologize to all of you. You can email me uh, through the Station of the Cross or at mail, M-A-I-L, at motherofisraelshope.org. That email address is on our website under contact information, so anybody can have that. Um, And uh, our phone number is the landline in Tulsa. We don't have a landline in in Beloit yet, so that phone number will not serve you well. Um, But as far as donations, um, I think if we don't have our new address up, I will put it up um, in Beloit. Um, it would just be, you could, Mother of, uh, a Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, um, and we're going to put it on our uh, 
station today. It's it's 500 North Mill Street, Beloit, Kansas, zip code 67420. Again, it's probably going to be a temporary address for a year or two, but 500 North uh, Mill Street, M-I-L-L, Beloit, B-E-L-O-I-T, Kansas, um, 67420. You can reach us that way. You can also go online. I'm answering this for Alice because we've had so many of these requests, and I bless all of you. You can go online, www.motherofisraelshope.org. Again, you can sign up to receive our newsletters. You can donate directly. Uh, That'll help you to donate by check, by credit card, by wire, direct deposit uh, to our bank. We can help you with all of it. So... I don't know if the wire is set up on our email, but we can help you with that. So I better get on to other emails. Alice, God bless you, and thank you so much. Um, Let me just see. We have a call from Janet in Ohio. Hi, Janet. Hi, Mother. How are you? (laughs) I'm okay. How are you? (laughs) Thank God, trying to get through the winter. <laughs> yes, you're in Ohio, but you sound like you're further east. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're from New York or New Ohio. Jersey? New York. I figured. Yeah. Your your old place where you used to live, right? Yeah, I know, where I grew up. I love that state. I love that state. I know it's in a mess now, but I love it still. So go yes. ahead, dear Janet. Thanks for your call. Well, I just wanted to, um, you know, get some information. And the young man, you know, that was screening my call, he gave me the help, um, you know, uh, in regards to the um, Children of God website, you know. Ch- in Children of God for Life. Yes, Children of God yes. for Life, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yes. So um, just been a little concerned about the medications that I'm taking, you know, and, um, you know, because I just can't seem to get it out of my head that there might be these fetal lines inside my medications. So uh, there might be there might be. Yeah. And um, so what do you do in regards to something? Well, if you know, um, it's very difficult um, Many of us took many vaccines years back, even chicken pox and other things that were tainted with fetal uh, cell lines. Uh, we didn't know it. Our mothers didn't know it. So if we're taking something um, and we can get an alternate without it, of course, that would be what we, we should do. Um, uh, we would say no to COVID no matter what because we haven't found, I think the Children of God for Life li- uh, website says that thus far there is no vaccine that is not either made with or tested with um, aborted fetal cells. So uh, I would, and plus we've been listening to reports that say it's not even a vaccine, it's a pathogen and it's simply destroying us. I would urge everybody to stay miles away from that vaccine. Well, I've been, you know, I've been running away from vaccines for ages and I'm just, um, (laughs) I just have an instinct inside of me telling me not to do it, you know. Your instinct is right, sweetheart. So if you can do, if you can switch any medications that do not use the, the fruit of aborted babies, um, and also vitamins. There are doctors that 
just say take lots of vitamin D, a few thousand uh, units every day, vitamin A, vitamin C, get rest. Um, that's going to keep most people healthy. And hydrochloroquine, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, is also very helpful, Janet. How would I get a hold of it? You know, would I be able to buy that over-the-counter, the hydrochloroquine? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Um, okay. You, you, I don't, sweetheart, unless your doctor will prescribe it. You could look on the Internet for how to receive hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine without a prescription. You could do some research on that, um, uh-huh. and maybe you'll come up with something. I don't know that, sweetheart. All right. Well, all I right. thank you for your time, Mother. And all thank right. you for all the beautiful work you're doing. God, thank you. What a joy it is to listen thank to you. you. Thank you, my New York sister. God bless you. Stay healthy. And uh, we'll be back right after this break, beloved. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Podcasts of our network-produced shows are free for your listening pleasure at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Be uplifted in your faith and inspired to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on our iCatholic Radio mobile app. Be to Jesus. Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show, joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time, weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We'll see you then. May God love you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. 
to Mother Miriam Live, and we're here to take your calls and your questions, your texts, um, your emails, toll-free. Our lines are open. This is our last segment, one 877 We have an email from Richard who writes, You've mentioned that taking, taking Holy Communion in the hand is sacrilegious. But if it is approved by the church, how can that be? I was refused communion on the tongue one time in my life, and I am 81. At that point, I genuflect before the Blessed Sacrament and did not receive and went back to my pew to finish Mass. But there are millions of Catholics who don't know and were never catechized properly, so I do not consider it a sacrilege for them. What say you? God bless you, Mother, in your ministry. Dear Richard, um, I think back to the Old Testament where the high priest offered on the day of Yom Kippur, that is the day of atonement, Yom Day Kippur covering, the day when our Lord covered sins by the sacrifice of animals, um, by the high priest of Israel, Yom Kippur, which today with the no sacrificial system is a day of fast, fasting and abstinence. Um, the high priest offered the sins of, for the nation, unintentional sins. The people didn't intend them. In most cases, they didn't even know they made them. These were not um, confessed sins by the individuals. These were unintentional. Sin is sin, whether we know it or not. So, those that receive communion on the hand, do I believe it's sacrilegious? I do. I do. I believe that. I think um, Cardinal Seurat... Um, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, others have spoken about that, um, that it is sacrilegious. Um, Why would the church um, allow that? Again, the norm that the church teaches is on the tongue. Unfortunately, many refuse, many priests and bishops refuse to serve communion on the tongue, but that is the norm. It is allowed on the church. That teaching came after Vatican II, and it is um, why God allowed the church to teach that. I have no answer for that, but we have seen the fruit of it. We've seen uh, our Lord trampled in just about every church that serves communion on the hand. I myself have picked up crumbs from the floor and from rugs, some of them a quarter of an inch, uh, awful. Just and I eat them. I pick them up and I eat them. It's just they're all over. And it's, it, you know, we talk about health. Going from the the consecrated hands of a priest should go directly to our tongue. From the consecrated hands of the priest to our hand, right? That that is not consecrated, and then we pick it up, it him up with our other hand and put him in our mouth. Uh, There's so much occasion in that process for our Lord to be abused and uh, for it to be a sacrilegious act. Um, If something is sacrilegious, it's sacrilegious whether we know it or not, whether we intend it or not. When we learn it is, then we can make decisions to change. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. I didn't know sin until the law came in. Now, the law said thou shalt not, and now I know I'm doing wrong. 
until the law said thou shalt not, I didn't know that it was sin. It was all the same, but I didn't know it. But now God says thou shalt not, and now I'm cut to the heart, and I know it's sin. Now I'm responsible for what I do. And so um, I'm not telling you that communion on the hand is sinful because the church allows it. Um, Do I believe it's sacrilegious? I do. I do not believe our Lord should be handled that way. Uh, But again, if the majority of people receive our Lord in the hand, are they responsible? Are they guilty? Um, They were never catechized, so Richard said he doesn't consider it a sacrilege for them. Well, let me agree with you, Richard. They're ignorant. They don't know. It's not a sacrilege for them, but it is still a sacrilege against the Blessed Sacrament. The issue is not us. The issue is the Blessed Sacrament. And I recall when God appeared before Israel in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, he appeared on Mount Sinai and the whole nation came and they wouldn't hear him. They wouldn't see him. They would just hear thunder on the mountain and it shook. And in order, they couldn't touch the mountain or they died, not even touching God, but the mountain on which God would come to them. And they had to bathe. They had to refrain from all sin. They had to refrain from marital relations. And they had to come pure before that mountain and not even go near or touch it. And Moses was their spokesman. Otherwise, they would die. The same God who appeared on Mount Sinai to Moses and the Israelites is that God who we receive in Holy Communion, body, blood, soul, and divinity. That was our Lord Jesus who appeared on Mount Sinai prior to the incarnation. It was the Lord Jesus who thundered. He is God. And he became man through the Blessed Virgin for us. And he did not cease being God. He did not become less holy. And when bread, at the words of the consecration of the priest, becomes God in the consecrated hands of the priest, he is holding God. And when he picks up a host, a host is um, what contains something. Well, the host doesn't contain God. It is God. And when he takes that host and gives it to us, he's taking God. The wafer that has become God is no longer bread and wine, has become God in his hands and placing that on our tongue. To place God in our hands to me is, to me it's unthinkable and yet it happens. Not only does that happen, but then the priest distributes the host to so-called Eucharistic ministers. So it goes from the priest's hands to the Eucharistic minister's hands to the communicant's hands. Uh, to me, it's a, it's a painful thing to watch. Um, the the uh, accountability of the people, um, I think, is very little. I think the accountability of the, of the church, bishops, priests, who allow that is is much greater. Um, so why did God the Father, why did the church allow it? I, I have no answer for that. Um, many things have been allowed. Many parts of the faith have been trampled on. Many practices, I just mentioned Ember Days, which begin tomorrow, a day of fast and abstinence. Tomorrow, 
Friday and Saturday to thank God for the season, to do penance, to give him thanks for all that he gives us. It's out the window. We don't do it. We don't do it anymore. So um, for the most part, it, it, it's very grievous, Richard, um, but God only knows, only God knows the accountability of each individual. I will not tell anybody that what is wrong, that the church has decreed what is wrong. I can tell you, I cannot fathom it being right, because to me it is sacrilegious. So I don't know what else to say for that. Um, I think I'm grieving uh, my own priests and bishop and others, um, maybe specifically coming from my Jewish background, the day that the first communion host, when I entered the church, was placed on my tongue, I knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was being placed on my tongue and that I could have perished in an instant. By his mercy, I did not. But that was my due. I could have perished in an instant. The thought of handling him is unthinkable to me. So what can I say, beloved? We, this is the church, and God will lead it into... Um, all truth to the end of time. God bless you. Mm-hmm.